If you're a diehard fight fan and you've been looking for like-minded diehard fight fans, welcome to the family. This is Coster's Cage, giving fans insight and analysis and featuring guest appearances from the UFC's biggest stars, past and present, as well as the very latest UFC news. This is Coster's Cage, and here's your host, Dan Coster. Episode 19 of Coster's Cage. It has been a while since I've done a recap. Didn't do one for the Derek Lewis and Gone card back in August because, let's be honest, that wasn't much of a pay-per-view. I have done interviews, though, in the meantime with Ally Quinta, Eric Anders. If you haven't checked those episodes out, you should. The Raging Al episode is on YouTube, so check that out. But here we are, UFC 266 recap. Humble brag. I went 13 for 13 on my picks. Better believe I'm going to mention that. But you know how we do it every fight. On the card, here we go, starting with Jonathan Pierce, Omar Morales. Jonathan Pierce coming in as a dog into this fight, but in order to win, he needed to get takedowns, and he did exactly that. 6 for 11 on his takedowns, locked in a rear naked choke in the middle of round 2. Morales didn't even attempt to fight it off. Jonathan Pierce moves to 2-1 in the UFC. Up next, Matthew Semmelsberger and Martin Sano. I mean, what in the world is Martin Sano doing in the UFC? I know he's boys with Nick Diaz, but, I mean, my God, how does this even happen? Sano hasn't won a fight since 2014. He hasn't fought since 2017 coming into this fight. A better bet 5K on Sano to win. I mean, it must be nice to be that damn rich because you couldn't burn your money any faster. 15 seconds into the first round, Semmelsberger just cracks Sano's jaw and puts it into the fourth row. Just ridiculous. Ridiculous how this fight was even a thing. Semmelsberger, 3-1 in the UFC. He has obvious power, but has fought some absolute cans. Next fight, Nick Maximov versus Cody Brundage. Maximov is another one of Diaz's boys. Maximov, however, actually has talent, unlike Sano. Cody Brundage filling in for Carl Roberson on short notice, but Brundage was training for an upcoming fight on the Contender Series in a few weeks, so he was in shape. Maximov, just 23 years old, known for his ground game, had okay striking, but you can tell that's not what Maximov wanted to do. Needed to get this fight to the ground, and he did look desperate at times doing it. 4 of 15 on takedowns. When Maximov got Brundage down, he had good control. Over 9 minutes of control time for Maximov. Like I said, just 23 years old. If he can improve that striking and use his striking to set up the takedowns, this guy's going to be a big problem because he is slick on the mat. The UFC should feed him guys with no takedown defense if they want to promote him, which they will. Nick Maximov's an interesting prospect going forward. Next fight, Jalen Turner versus Euros Medic. Jalen Turner is a big boy for 155. Six foot three and just looks stronger than Medic to start the fight, I thought. Medic throws a kick. Turner catches it and takes down Medic. Turner controlled Medic down there for two plus minutes and ended up locking in the rear naked choke. Turner is a guy to watch. I mean, he's got the size on everybody in this division. He's still just 26. Back-to-back submission wins for Jalen Turner. I like the kid, man. He's making improvements. Guy to watch. Tyler Santos versus Roxanne Modafferi. I don't have much to add here. I mean, Roxanne is the definition of a fighter, but it's just hard to watch sometimes. She's not the most athletically gifted fighter. I think she should hang him up personally. I mean, the UFC is just feeding her savages like Viviana Ruggio. Tyler Santos, it's just not worth it. Santos, with this win, is now 18-1, has power, has a ground game. There's big-time potential here for Tyler Santos. 
Chris Dawkins versus Shamil Dawkins quits his job as a police officer to do MMA full-time, and man, is it paying off. Easily his toughest fight to date here. Shamil, who's coming off a long layoff and a punctured lung, 40 years old. Dawkins is just such a problem at heavyweight with his hand speed. He's got the speed advantage over everybody in this division. He's now 4-0 in the UFC. Four finishes. Should be four first-round finishes. Dropped Shamil in the first. Easily could have been stopped. Then he dropped Shamil again in the second, and I thought Shamil's mouthpiece went flying, but it was just a lot of saliva. Pretty funny. Dawkins with some pretty interesting call-outs. I don't know who he should fight. Either way, he's a top seven heavyweight, and he's surging. Dan Hooker and Nazareth Hackbarass. As we know, what a living hell for both these guys flying in late due to visa issues. Both guys make the weight somehow. Dan Hooker showing that there is levels to this game. Nazareth goes from fighting Rafa Garcia to Dan Hooker. Massive step up for Nazareth. The big difference in this fight was Hooker putting Nazareth on his heels. That led to three takedowns for Hooker. Seven minutes of control time. Hooker, what a gamer fighting an unranked guy. Not many fighters would do that. Hooker looked great in here. I mean, big, big, big bounce back performance after getting clipped by Michael Chandler. The only question coming into this fight was, is Hooker's chin potentially cracked because he took a lot of damage versus Poirier and then he got clipped by Michael Chandler? But his chin did hold up here. Nazareth has a lot of hype around him. He's only 26, but anytime he's faced any sort of good competition, he really hasn't been close. I mean, he's been knocked out by Drew Dober, loses here in dominant fashion to Hooker. He's not really ready yet for top 15. Marab and Marlon Marais. What a damn fight. Marab, what a chin he's got on him, man. He got hurt bad, was knocked down and wobbled, all of that. Somehow survives, and credit to Keith Peterson. No nonsense, Keith Peterson, for not stopping this fight, because I guarantee other refs would have stopped this fight when Marab was hurt. Marab survives the onslaught, then gets the takedown on Marais. Lands monster ground and pound shots on Marais. One of the best rounds you're ever going to see. Just absolute mayhem back and forth. Marab keeps it going into round two. We know Marlon Marais guesses, and we know Marab just has, I mean, pound for pound the best cardio in the UFC. And Marab just turned it up in round two. Gets the TKO. Just relentless ground and pound. Over 300 strikes thrown for Marab in just two rounds. And there was a point in this fight where Marab had over 120 unanswered strikes. Just unbelievable. And the narrative on Marab is that, oh, he's just a decision guy. Well, that narrative can be thrown out the window. Marab going to be ranked sixth now. But what's next for Marlon? Three losses in a row. Has been finished all three times. On to the main card we go. Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo. The power difference here was just very noticeable. Calvillo didn't even attempt a takedown questionable game plan from her wanting to stand with Andrade and she paid the price. Andrade unloaded with the flurry at the end of round one and got the stoppage with six seconds left. I didn't have a problem with the stoppage. Cavillo basically threw in the towel, waved the white flag. Andrade, last four wins in the octagon have been finishes. Curtis Blades versus Biggie Boy Rosenstruck. Fans booing this one and I understand why but Blades has struggled versus big time power punchers and Rosenstruck is that. I mean, who isn't going to struggle versus Francis and Derek Lewis? No shame, really, in getting knocked out by them, right? But Blades definitely a little gun-shy here, and rightfully so. Tentative approach from both guys. Blades was able to get three takedowns, which going in, we all knew was going to be the key. Over six minutes of control time for Blades. Got caught with a knee from Biggie Boy that shut his eye up pretty good. Had some big-time swelling on it, but this is what Blades does. 
He's a mainstay in the top five at heavyweight. And as for Rosenstruck, I'm not sure where he goes from here. I mean, the title aspirations for Rosenstruck are pretty much gone for this moment in his career. I think a good matchup, however, would be Chris Doggis versus Rosenstruck. But overall, Blades Rosenstruck, not the most exciting fight. Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. We know the storylines here. I'm not going to talk too much about that. But Nick Diaz makes his return. And let's be honest, Nick has not been training over the last five years. He just hasn't. Robbie Lawler, though he's been losing to good competition, by the way, has been training. He's been in the gym. He's been fighting good guys, like I just said. Colby, Neil Magny, etc. Robbie came out super hot and aggressive. Nick survived the early rage from Robbie, but it was just the output of both these guys that was just unbelievable. Essentially, through two rounds, over 500 strikes thrown combined from these two, Nick was looking good in the sense of his activity. The output was just ridiculous, throwing five, six, seven punch combos at a time. But he was more just touching up Lawler. He did have a few impact shots for sure, but Nick was just touching him up. While in my opinion, Lawler had a little more mustard on his shots. And Lawler lands a beautiful check right hook on Diaz. And Diaz said all week he didn't want to fight. And he got clocked with that counter right and said screw it when he was asked to stand up by Herzog. Obviously, he kind of quit here, but... He said he didn't want to fight. Obviously, you know, everybody loves Nick, but I think we all know deep down that this was a money thing for Nick more than anything else. Good to see him back. I hope he fights again, but I don't think this was, you know, a sad storyline like some MMA minds have said. Because if it was that sad, I mean, he wouldn't have thrown 339 strikes. He was ripping to the body. It was a fun fight. Robbie Lawler was more serious in approach. And that's why he got the win. I mean, he's just had more invested in MMA over the last five years than Nick Diaz. Valentina versus Lauren Murphy. I mean, is anybody surprised here? I really don't know what else to say. Valentina is just in a different stratosphere from everybody else. Obviously, she had the edge everywhere. But I thought it was interesting. She didn't go to the wrestling more because she threw Andrade around like a ragdoll last fight with seven takedowns. Here versus Murphy, only three takedowns. And had good success when she got her there. So, like I said, she was having success on the feet too. But this could have ended way earlier, in my opinion, than the fourth round if she went the wrestling route. That's just nitpicking, though. I mean, Valentina is just so dominant. She can basically do whatever she wants in there. In Valentina's last six fights, she's only absorbed over 20 strikes once. And that was versus Jennifer Maya. With the win, Valentina now has the longest title ring among current UFC champs with six title defenses. Just a dominant 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 mixed martial artist and now to the main event Volkanovski versus Ortega coming in the narrative was how good has Ortega's stand-up gotten because he looked great versus Kareem Zabi and he's had time to prep for this fight he's had more time to prep for this fight so just how good is his stand-up well it's not on the level of Volkanovski's I'll tell you that right now Volk outstruck him in every round but there were some terrifying moments for Volk here Round three, Volk throws a kick. Ortega just catches it and kind of just shoves Volk to the ground. And in the process, Ortega ends up going for guillotine. And man, was it tight. Volk was joking how he was making noises while he was in the choke. And he was squirming on the ground, and it was not a pretty squirm. I think we all know. You know, you see a guy in a choke that deep, and he starts squirming like that. It's usually a very bad sign of things to come. It's usually the squirm of somebody that's going to tap, but there is just no way in hell that Volk was tapping here. Somehow gets out of it. Then a little later, he ends up in a triangle of Ortega's. He fights it off again, but it was funny because you saw Volk look at Ortega while he was in this, and he's like, well, I'm good here. That's how I, that's how I was watching it. 
He escapes these two submissions from Ortega. Just unbelievable because anybody else is tapping from that <laughs> and probably not even getting out of that. How about the poise? The poise, the presence, the patience of Volkanovsky to not panic too heavy while he was in these submissions. Just championship stuff. One of the best rounds you're ever going to see. Sure, Brian Ortega was competitive in this fight, but it's just the level of appreciation that you have to appreciate that Volkanovski and Max Holloway are at. And then you go down 50 feet, and then it's Ortega, and we know Ortega's damn good. I mean, Volk and Max Holloway are just on a different planet, man. They These guys, I mean, people really just underappreciate greatness, I think. How about this stat from Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter? In his two title fights, Brian Ortega absorbed a combined 504 significant strikes. By comparison, Volkanovski has absorbed a combined 539 significant strikes in his 10-fight UFC career. That is unbelievable. Ortega absorbed 290 versus Holloway, 214 last night versus Volkanovski. Just Unbelievable. That is an unbelievable stat. Ortega has taken some big-time beatings. He's as tough as they come. But, man, he's just been absolutely bamboozled in his two title fights. Falkonovsky joins Anderson Silva, Usman, Habib, and Royce Gracie as the only fighters to start 10-0 in their UFC career. Folk said he'd be interested in going up to 155 if things take a little bit to develop at 145 with Yair and Max set to fight in a few weeks. And why would that be something to see Volk dabble at 155 and attempt to be a double champ? Folk finally getting the massive amount of respect that he deserves. The guy is just a savage. He's unbelievable. Feel bad for Ortega, though. I mean, he's in the era of <laughs> Volkanovski at 145 and Holloway at 145. I mean... That's just bad luck because if those guys weren't there, this guy would be champ by now. He'd probably have a few title defenses. That's just my opinion. But with that said, I think that'll do it. I hope you all enjoyed this recap. Thank you for listening. And drop me a review on Apple. Follow me on Instagram. Doses. You've been listening to Coster's Cage with Dan Coster, bringing diehard fight fans together. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Instagram at Coster's Cage. Welcome to the family, and we'll see you soon.